Good morning, church family. How's everyone doing? It's so good to gather. Thank you for uh, joining us today. I'm excited to dive into God's Word with you. I wanted to start off with just kind of some fun. Um, I found some quarantine memes up on, uh, on, on the internet. So this is me after I ate all of my quarantine snacks in one night. <laughs> Anybody else feeling a little extra pudgy? <laughs> Anybody else? Is it just me? All right, quarantine week four. I cut it myself, right? Anybody cutting their own hair? Stephanie gave me this haircut. It's looking pretty good. She did a pretty good job. I'm excited. So, all right, next slide. I'm going to Costco. <laughs> this is a zombie apocalypse movie, by the way. So, I'm going to Costco. I was there yesterday, geared up, right? All right, next slide. I'm holding up just fine. How's everyone else doing? I think I look like that some mornings, probably. All right, next slide. Introvert me, excited for the quarantine, knowing I've been training for this my whole life. All right. I had to put Baby Yoda up there for my kids. They love Baby Yoda. <laughs> next slide. This is the 2020 quarantine. Extroverts, just kind of panicked, kind of depressed, right? All the introverts are like, yes, forced isolation. This is incredible. This is awesome. All right. Well, um, I felt like that top guy. Actually, I'm a very extroverted guy, and so I felt like that top guy. Um, just like, no, this is not good. I need people, right? Um, I was talking with a friend of mine, and he mentioned how he actually going through quarantine and, and social distancing and being stuck kind of indoors, he felt a little mild depression, actually. I was talking with my good friend. He's a very extroverted guy as well, and so I think I related with that. I think I felt some of that myself, just almost a mild depression. It showed me how extroverted I am. It also showed me um, how much I need community. And I just wanted to say thank you to this church body. Some of you noticed Bruce just wasn't right for, for this short season. And some of you went out, out of your way to come and love Bruce and the Shubies. And so I just am so thankful for this church family, and how you just continually love on me and my family. So pastors need encouragement and love, too. And so thank you. Um, just to mention a few, we had some sidewalk shock fairies come and do some uh, awesome designs and encouraging notes on our sidewalks, some funny stuff, too. And I'm thankful for these sidewalk fairies. Thank you, Sanders Clan, for making my day. We had some Bahama Bucks fairies come and deliver Bahama Bucks to our door, to our family. And I was so thankful. All of our kids got Bahama Bucks ICs. It was awesome. Thank you, Ron and Yvonne and Blake Christensen. We even had two hairy fairies come. And one was in the form of a pug. And uh, he just lightened our day, that little pug named Crypto. And the other was in, in the form of Alex Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he just made her a come bearing gifts just to brighten our day, just to love on our shoes. And that, that little pug, excuse me, that little pug just made our kids' day. It was so fun to see them come to life with that little hairy little guy and a big hairy guy too. <laughs> All right. But also we had some joke-telling fairies who, uh, students and leaders who put some jokes together just to cheer Bruce up. And so thank you, leaders and students, for that. I just feel overwhelmed with love and you're reaching out to me. But if you could, uh, as we dive in, let's pray, and as we seek God's word together. God, I am grateful for this chance to 
be here amongst my family, my brothers and sisters. Lord, would you lead and guide this time? Would you be honored and glorified in this time as we dive into your word? Would you speak, Lord, through your word? Convict us by your word, God. Help us to understand your word and then apply your word to our lives. For your glory and for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to give some, just some quick context. We've been in 2 Thessalonians uh, in the past few weeks. And, and the, Thessalonian, or the, the church in Thessalonica is a church that Paul helped establish. Him and his companions helped establish this church. And Paul's writing back to them because they seem to be confused on some events, right, that will take place before and at the second coming of Christ. And so he's writing back to them to encourage them but to help correct them in their thinking and their doctrine. So Paul brings clarity to these issues and then encourages this young church to stand firm in the faith. And that's exactly what Todd talked about last week. In our passage today, we will see Paul's missional mindset. We're going to look at Paul's pastoral heart. And then we're going to look at what compels this man. He's just a man on a mission. He is compelled. We're going to look at what that is. So we're kind of diving into Paul's heart, his attitude, his mindset today. Let's read it. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. There it is. 1 through 5. It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. First, we're going to dive into Paul's missional mindset. According to my research, Paul is in Corinth at this time, at the writing of this letter of 2 Thessalonians. And he's asking for prayer from the Thessalonians that the word of the Lord, which is the gospel, may speed ahead and progress to advance and to be honored or in other words, accepted by those he ministers to, just as it happened in Thessalonica, right? So Paul's asking for prayer from these Thessalonians, who he dearly loves, right? So pray for me that what happened in Thessalonica can happen here in Corinth. Paul's missional mindset is just evident here, right? He wants his gospel to speed ahead to advance, to progress. And actually, this verse actually reminded me of a, a two-minute video I saw at a conference once, and it, it's kind of about progress. So let's check this out, a two-minute video. Let's play it all the way through, please. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Lou Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat 
anxious to get away. Let's watch. are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stops. That's progress. That's progress, man. That was like six seconds probably <laughs> compared to 67 seconds. So that's what Paul is asking for prayer, that the gospel can progress, to advance, to speed ahead in the place where he's ministering right now. And this is actually not the only time that Paul asked for prayer. He also asked the Colossians to pray for him in the same uh, the same. In the same mission-minded heart, he says in Colossians, you don't have to turn here, just listen in. Colossians 4, 3 and 4, he says this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open, uh, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here, Paul, even from prison, is asking for prayer that God would open the door that he might declare the gospel. Even though his freedoms to come and go have been taken from him, his concern is that he'd be able to declare the good news of the gospel. That's his concern. Paul is just so missionally minded and is so challenging to me. Paul doesn't just ask for prayer just to declare the gospel, but he also asks for prayer in this passage that he might be delivered from the wicked and evil and faithless man as well. Paul is facing persecution for his faith in Christ. He's facing persecution from these men who are faithless, who are wicked and evil. And Paul wants to be delivered, right? And my thought is he wants to be delivered because he wants to keep declaring this gospel that has transformed his life, that has just completely turned his life upside down. He wants to declare this message. He's so missional-minded. He wants his gospel to speed ahead. Paul then moves from kind of a, uh, asking for prayer to then kind of a pastoral role in this passage, a little more of a pastoral heart, a shepherding heart. 
So he, uh, he knows uh, that these Thessalonians are also experiencing persecution for their faith from these wicked, evil, faithless men too. And he knows also that the evil one is scheming against this young church in Thessalonica. So Pastor Paul, right, reminds the Thessalonians that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and he will guard you. Pastor Paul um, is encouraging these guys, even though in the midst of persecution, he's encouraging them. The Lord is faithful. The NESB version of the Bible says um, that he will strengthen you and he will protect you. I like that, strengthen and protect. These are encouraging words from Pastor Paul, right? These are so encouraging words, especially in the midst of their, this young church experiencing persecution. He will, the Lord is faithful. He will protect and he will uh, strengthen you. This passage reminded me of a trip I took last summer with my family. We love the national parks. And every time you have a fourth grader, you can actually apply to have a free national parks pass, which we took advantage of this last summer. We went out to California. We let Tessa, Tessa was a fourth grader last summer. We went out to California. She, we let her pick kind of what area and what direction. And we got to do a little national parks tour. Well, um, one of the national parks and one of the highlights was Sequoia National Park. It's like a land of giants. Okay, so we'll Go to the next slide. <laughs> this is a pine cone from our campsite. This is not even a sequoia pine cone. It's a sugar pine. The trees are massive in this area. Next slide, please. But we went to Sequoia National Park, and this, what you're seeing here, is General Sherman tree. It is the largest tree in the world by volume, okay? Not the tallest. I learned that sequoia Trees are different from redwood trees. They're a different species. Sequoia trees, I'm sorry, sequoia trees have girth. Everyone say girth, right? And the redwoods have height, the height, right? And they're more in the northern California coastal area. These sequoias have something fascinating about them. Some of them are, were around at the time of Christ. That's crazy. Over 2,000 years old, some of these trees. So, what, what makes these trees last so long and grow so long? I found out there's something in these trees called tannin. It's found in the bark. The bark of this tree has kind of got a spongy touch to it, kind of a um, soft, hollow, spongy touch to it. Uh, the bark can be up to a foot and a half thick. And it's the bark that protects and strengthens the tree. And you'll see in the next couple of pictures, you see these are massive Massachusetts, that's my son there, a little bitty guy. <laughs> Next slide. It's that reddish bark. Next slide. Next slide. And the, this chemical. Next slide. And one more. All right, pause right there, please. Um, this bark... Uh, is really special. It has some chemical in it called tannin. And tannin protects the tree from bugs, from rot, and also from fires. And so wildfires, this wildfire came through and burned the inner core of this tree. And yet the bark on the outside protected and strengthened the tree. You can go to the next slide. 
That's pretty amazing. This tree is still alive. Even though the whole solid uh, inner part of this tree was hollow all the way up just about, the outer bark of this tree protected and guarded this tree. Even though the wildfires rolled through, and even though persecution rose through for these Thessalonians, God is faithful. He strengthens and protects. And what's interesting, next slide, please, is that this is the sequoia pine cone. And what's interesting is that when fires roll through, it's kind of neat. God uses the fires because the seeds drop when the fires roll through, and they have fertile ground in to reestablish um, other trees to spread those seeds when fires roll through. So kind of interesting, a lot of illustrations that I thought about with the sequoia tree. But let this be a reminder to us that whatever the situation we find ourselves in, God is faithful. He strengthens and protects when wildfires roll through. He strengthens and protects when evil men desire to harm. And he strengthens and protects when the evil one is on the prowl. Paul then speaks words of encouragement to the Thessalonians. He says, Paul is confident in the Lord that the Thessalonians will follow through with what he commanded them. He's confident in the Lord. This is equivalent to saying, I believe in you. I believe in you, right? I think that's what a man with a pastoral heart does. He believes in his students and his disciples. He believes that the spirit of Jesus in them will obey and shine through. See, these are life-giving words. And you can imagine how important this is in the midst of this young church and their persecution they are facing. And I believe that newer believers, I think they need a lot of extra uh, words of encouragement, right, for their young faith. And so Paul's generous with this here. And I've heard and I've come to believe also some of the four most powerful words you can tell someone is, I believe in you. We try to do that with our student leaders, our high school leaders. They're, they're young uh, in their faith, and they're also um, learning to make disciples. And so we really, really try to go over the top with words of encouragement. Jesus is shining through you. I believe in you. You can do this in Christ, Right? I believe in you. So Paul's pastoral heart coming out loud and clear. And think about this for a while. I thought about this. Where's Paul right now? He's in Corinth. What kind of issues is Paul dealing with in Corinth? Have you read 1 Corinthians? <laughs> He's got some work to do, doesn't he? Paul, the apostle Paul has got some work to do. He's got idolatry he's dealing with and all kinds of other stuff with that. It's hard to even mention here, right? But um, yet, in the midst of Paul trying to establish a church in Corinth and trying to do ministry there, he takes a moment with that pastoral heart, a shepherd-like heart, to write these letters to the Thessalonians. I know if it was me, I'd be so focused on my current um, 
kind of ministry position in a sense, my current location, I'd be so focused there, I'd miss out on this sweet shepherding moment. But not Paul. He's got that shepherding heart. He writes back. Several months ago, a missionary with Ethnos 360 came to speak to us. He came to speak to us downstairs with our student ministry, and then he came up here and shared. His name was Doug Scheibel. You might remember him. He referred to himself as Tribal Scheibel. Uh, because he was a missionary uh, to the jungles and tribal people in Papua New Guinea. And he said something that was quite simple, yet really profound. Something I won't forget. He said, if you want to mature in your faith, make what's important to God important to you. If you want to mature in your faith, Make what's important to God important to you. And here's something I've learned over the years. The mission of God to make disciples of all nations is important to God. Absolutely. And his church, healthy and maturing and thriving, is important to God. Paul made what was important to God important to himself. And he spent his life making disciples and seeing them mature in Christ. How did Paul get so missional, so pastoral? How did he get that way? What drives Paul? What motivates Paul? I don't know about you, but I want to be like Paul, right? He is... A man on a mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15 can give us a clue into what drives Paul. Here's what it says. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. So Paul is a controlled man. He's a man compelled by the love of Jesus. His motivation, his attitude, his thoughts, his words, his actions are controlled and compelled by the love of Jesus. He's controlled, he's compelled because he personally knows the love of Jesus for himself, how he's been radically changed by that love. And he can't help but share the gospel, the good news. He can't help but encourage this young church in their faith as they mature and as they experience persecution. He can't help but share it because of what the love of Jesus has done in him. He's just overflowing, compelled by the love of Jesus. So seeing Paul's missional mindset, seeing Paul's pastoral heart for this church, it's challenging to me. And seeing him compelled by the love of Jesus, it's challenging to me. I want to be like that. I want to be compelled by the love of Jesus. I want to see people as Jesus sees people. I want to love like Christ. And I love hearing stories 
of how God is working in and through people. Those stories engage me. Those stories motivate me to do, to do the same. And I want to tell you a story, hopefully to engage you, to encourage you, and hopefully to stir you to love and good deeds. My wife and I had an awesome opportunity to take perspectives class. It's a mission, a class on missions, um, a year and a half ago now. And God really used that to kind of stir passion for him and for his mission. We're, we're thankful for that class. And we were surrounded by, we heard weekly missionaries come and share their stories of how God worked mightily among them people. Um, not only uh, in these remote parts of the world, but also in their own neighborhoods. And so my wife and I, we're learning and growing what it means to have this missional mindset. Um, we often like to go for walks through our neighborhood. It's a great place to start, right? Right in your neighborhood. We often go for walks and get to meet neighbors and talk, and we stop often to chat with our neighbors. One time we stopped and got to chat with our neighbors down the street, and we learned it from Nepal. And we uh, struck up a great uh, friendship with this family. They're, our sons were in the same kindergarten class together, and so they became friends. And we just started kind of moving in their direction. They were moving in our direction. Struck up a, a sweet friendship with this family. One day I came home from work, from the office here, and um, their, the mom and their son and daughter were at our house playing, just having a good time, jumping on a trampoline in our backyard. And um, the mom asked me, hey, Bruce, do you know where I can get some goat? In their culture, they love, enjoy uh, eating goat. And so I'm not, I wasn't really quite sure, but I said I might be able to get some deer for you, some venison. And she was like, yeah, that'd be great. And so um, I, I, I thought about who's uh, some of the hunters in our church family. I thought about the greatest hunter on the planet, Ron Christensen, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, Captain Ron, do you have any deer meat you could spare? And uh, for our neighbors, they're looking for some venison meat. And sure enough, the very next day, Sunday morning, it was Sunday morning now, Ron comes with this cooler full of venison meat. He's a mighty hunter, right? <laughs> and um, anyway, right after church, we go home and have lunch, and my family and I, we load up uh, in the van and, and come over. It was a heavy cooler. <laughs> we load up in the van and, and drop and, and deliver the meat to their house. And they were just so thankful and so uh, welcoming in that moment. They allowed us to come in. We took our shoes off and just got to enjoy some sweet time talking together, um, and hopefully um, saw the love of Jesus in that moment. Well, it really, we spent like three hours there with them and, and enjoying that, and just got to uh, have some spiritual conversations with them even in that moment. They were asking questions about Christianity and the kind of the different divisions of Christianity. So we did our best to handle that. Not, not an easy question, right? <laughs> we did our best to handle that and hopefully try to point them back to Christ and him crucified. Um, and then at one point, um, the father explained to, to us that he was raised in a Hindu background, and, and then, but he says, I'm not radical Hindu, is what he said. I'm not radical Hindu. In that moment, I didn't say this out loud, but in that moment, I thought, well, I'm Christian. I'm, a, I'm radical Christian. 
I am a radical Christian. And what's that mean, though? In my mind, that means we radically love people. That's what, in my mind, I'm a radical Christian. I radically love my neighbors, radically love those who are lost, radically love the church family, radically love. That's how I see it in my mind. I'm a radical Christian, radical in that sense, in a loving sense. I didn't say that to him. I hope he's seen it in this moment, you know. But he at one point said to me he was really interested in Buddha, right, really interested in Buddha and learning about him and fascinated about Buddha. Uh, in that area was the birthplace of Buddhism. And so um, I said to him, um, if you like Buddha, you will love Jesus. You will love Jesus. Because in my mind, I didn't say this out loud, Buddha has nothing on Jesus, right? Buddha has nothing on Jesus. Anyway, we just strike up this incredible friendship with them. And they would come to our house for meals. And they'd invite us to their house for meals. I remember one time they invited us for some amazing Nepali food. And in their culture, they eat with their hands. And it was awesome. They have rice and chicken and sauce all over your hands. It was great, great cultural moment. And my kids were... Uh, eating with us, and at one point, my son wasn't eating a lot of food, and so what was funny is the mom was noticing Josiah wasn't eating his food, so the mom took uh, off of his plate with her bare hands and fed my son with her bare hands. (laughs) It was an awesome moment. Probably wouldn't fly today amongst the pandemic, of course, right? (laughs) But it was such an awesome moment. And one time, uh, God laid it on Stephanie's heart to buy the mother uh, a Bible in her language and offered to read it with her. And I love it. My wife's is uh, so good at this stuff. She uh, helped paint her house, too. She was looking for a way, uh, a way to paint her house, and so Stephanie offered it. was over there for hours, just helping her paint her house. One morning, which is really neat, they came to church with us one morning, sat right over here. Uh, her brother was in town, and they wanted probably to hang out with some Americans, right? And so we got to invite them to church, and um, they really enjoyed the music in that, in that environment, and so they, they love it. Um, but it was kind of neat because the brother would look at me for what to do. It was his first time ever in a Christian church, first time ever. And he'd look at me like this, and at one point I remember kind of doing this is, just a gesture of worship, and uh, he looked at me and just did this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was a sweet moment, um, but we got to connect with her brother, and I hope be a light to him. And last thing, if we could pull up that last slide, please. Um, last week, Todd challenged us to stand firm, right? It was that message, and then at the very end of the service, he challenged us with a story from Joel Tardy, who just passed with cancer. And Joel Tardy's hope and wish was to give five minutes, his five minutes with his family, and praise God, he got that. Um, but Chad challenged us with, what's your five minutes? What's your five minutes? And so uh, those stories, I tell you, connect and engage me because... Um, we took that to heart. My wife and I, 
the very next day on Monday, we're going to have our whole carpet replaced. We're really needing that. And so we are busy painting our, the rooms of our house. We're busy kind of getting ready for carpet. It's like moving. You guys know how stressful moving is, right? You have all this carpet. You got to get everything off the carpet. Well, my wife, we're in the midst of painting our little office space, Addie's room, and we get this text from them saying, hey, can you come by? And we're doing like a drive-by walk-through birthday party for my mother. This is their mother from Nepal. She's visiting from Nepal and has been here for a couple months now, I believe. And, and we said, this is our five minutes. This is our five minutes. It was busy, crazy, chaotic, but we said, we're going to do this. Thank you, Todd, wherever you are, <laughs> for that encouragement, for the encouragement for the five minutes. And so we stopped um, we got dressed up a little bit. We had some clothes from Sri Lanka, so similar cultures, so we got dressed in that. Um, this mother right here, the grandmother, I'm sorry, this is the grandmother, she, bought, she gave me this shirt. One time she came over for a meal. She gave me this shirt. It's a shirt of the Nepali flag, and underneath it says, Go Nepal, <laughs> right? So I wore that for her. And we just got to share some love with her in that moment. It only took 5 to 15 minutes or so to do that. That was our five minutes. What was sweet, though, was to see um, uh, the mom's eyes kind of well up a little bit, our friends well up a little bit, just with that little gesture of love. Because we just found out she was just recently, the grandmother was just recently diagnosed with cancer herself. So you can imagine, not speaking the language, having to go in and get tested at all these different tests, going through treatments now. And then with coronavirus on top of that, you can imagine what she's going through, right? And they've been up at the hospital a bunch. And so thank you, Todd, for that encouraging five minutes. But that's, that's the spirit of Christ, that missional mindset that I want to encourage us with and, and leave you with. So my uh, practical challenge to you is this. Who's your one? Who's your one that you can be intentional with? Compelled by the love of Christ? Who is the one person, the one neighbor, the one coworker, the one classmate, the one teammate that you can be intentional with? And move toward with that missional mindset. Compelled by the love of Jesus. Who's your one? Or who's your one brother or sister in the Lord who you can move towards that needs a little extra love and encouragement? that you can have that pastoral heart towards, that shepherding heart towards. Who is that? Because I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with all the opportunities and all the people, right? It's easy to get overwhelmed. What if we simplify it? Who's your one you can move towards to love well, to engage, having that missional mindset or that pastoral heart? Who's your one? Will you pray with me? If God has laid 
a person on your heart, whether it's someone who's far from Christ or someone who is uh, even amongst our, our church body here, our, our church family, brother or sister, would you pray for them as I pray? We're going to pray that God would throw open our doors for, and to give us opportunity to share that good news, right? Just as Paul asked for prayer. And I'm also going to pray for my, my Nepali friends as well, too. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this chance to dive into your word. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Thank you for how you so radically worked in Paul's life. Uh, he was just a man on mission, a man compelled by the love of Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to be compelled by your love. And then, God, help that overflow into how we love our neighbors who are far from Christ, how we love this church body, and especially those, God, who are having a hard time struggling. God, help us to have that mission mindset, that pastoral heart, and compelled by the love of Jesus. Lord, we lift up every person that you've laid on our hearts. Would you throw open the door that we might be able to share that good news? Or that we might be able to share a little act of love, a little encouraging word for them. Would you throw open that door, Jesus, for your glory and for your honor. Lord, you love them more than we could ever possibly. So, Lord, give us boldness to act as you lead. Give us boldness to declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel. And give us strength to continue to love. So, Lord, stir us to love and good deeds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for your time, Melanie Park Church. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. And I believe the ushers are going to usher you out, kind of like wedding style. So thank you for your time. Have a blessed Sunday.